DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. Dr. Lewis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Dr. Lewis is also the author of Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, a Theological Contemplation of Prayer. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lewis, we reflect on the writings of Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Her retreat, entitled The Last Retreat, is the source of our current reflection. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. My soul is always in my hands. My master sang this in his soul, and that is why, in the midst of all his anguish, he always remained the calm and strong one. My soul is always in my hands. What does that mean but this complete self-possession in the presence of the peaceful one? There is another of Christ's songs that I would like to repeat unceasingly. I shall keep my strength for you. My rule tells me, in silence will your strength be. It seems to me, therefore, that to keep one's strength for the Lord is to unify one's whole being by means of interior silence to collect all one's powers in order to employ them in the one work of love, to have this single eye which allows the light of God to enlighten us. A soul that debates with itself, that is taken up with its feelings and pursues useless thoughts and desires, scatters its forces, for it is not wholly directed toward God. Its lyre does not vibrate in unison, and when the master plays it, he cannot draw from it divine harmonies, for it is still too human and discordant. The soul that still keeps something for self in its inner kingdom, whose powers are not enclosed in God, cannot be a perfect praise of glory. It is not fit to sing uninterruptedly this Canticum Magnum of which St. Paul speaks, since unity does not reign in it. Instead of persevering in praise through everything in simplicity, it must continually adjust the strings of its instrument, which are all a little out of tune. So it sounds like in this reading, what the powerful theme that keeps on hammering back is this theme of sacred silence that God wants us to go into. At the same time, I'm very convicted myself 
about how I let so many little things irritate me all the time. I'm, mm-hmm. Chris, I do not know if many of the people in your audience have that experience, but I want to remain peaceful, but I keep on coming across these interior tempests that kind of shake me out of my prayerfulness. Help us to recall what Nishiwi means. It's so significant. She uses it so frequently, particularly in this passage. Yeah, Nishiwi means I no longer know anything. And she it's the song that the bride sings to the bridegroom in the uh, in the biblical poem, the Song of Songs or the Canticle of Canticles. She is so in love with with her lover that she can only think about him and and nothing else matters. In fact, if you look at the verse where this is said, there's an army coming out to get her, and she's not even worried about the army. She's certain that her beloved will be victorious over her enemies. She is just totally in love with her beloved. And so Blessed Elizabeth started this retreat yesterday with this word, Nishiwi. And today in the reflection, she's returning to it because I think it's the, the secret uh, to deep, deep interior, sacred silence that guards the soul against the, the kind of struggles that I know all too well. In the beginning of this reflection on the second day, the line, my soul is always in my hands. Help us to understand the reference to that. Well, the, the image itself is an image of self-possession. She even uses the word self-possession. When we get irritated and we lose our temper, or when we are enjoying something and we get carried away, when in a kind of a little verbal battle with someone, someone tweaks our self-esteem and we find ourselves indignant over it, we get dissed, as they say. Mm -hmm. In all these things, when you lose your awareness of Christ and you lose your awareness that your your job in the face of what Christ has done for you is to love. When, you, when you're pulled out of that and you act out of anger or indignation, it could also be uh, lust or gluttony or pride or anger, all these things can pull us in all kinds of different directions. And whenever they do, we lose that prayerful awareness of Christ and how much he has loved us. We're no longer able to be loving. We don't possess ourselves in Christ. Uh, we're letting that feeling, that movement, that temptation, that person possess us instead. And Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity is saying, that's not a good way to live. When you live that way, you're not vulnerable to what God can do in your life. The secret to being vulnerable to the power of God in your life so that he can use you, so that he can make a difference through you in the world, the the secret is to remain in a kind of holy silence. And this kind of holy silence that Nishiwi designates is not a holy silence of utter indifference to everything around you. It's the kind of holy silence that holds before it the love of God that remains vulnerable to having the heart pierced by that love all the time. And in that awareness, in that kind of self-possession where you are able to suffer the love of God in you, God is able to do the most wonderful things. All your whole emotional life, your thoughts, your fantasies are in tuned with his will. When our lives, when all the powers of our soul are in tune with what God wants to do, 
God does the most surprising, beautiful, and unexpected things. That's the, she uses the word, the great canticle, the great song, the great hymn that God wants to play through us. And that image of God making music through our souls for the world to hear. For Blessed Elizabeth, this is a, a great metaphor, a great image for what it means to be the praise of God's glory. The world knows God's glory through us when we are in tune with God, when we are completely vulnerable to Him. So that's this so this image then of self possession speaks to that. It's not a kind of stoic indifference. It is uh, to what's going on around you. It's a being so captivated, so fascinated by the love of Christ, you are vulnerable to what God wants to do in each situation. How indispensable this beautiful inner unity is for the soul that wants to live here below the life of the blessed, that is, of simple beings, of spirits. It seems to me that the Master had that in mind when he spoke to Mary Magdalene of the unum necessarium. How well that great saint understood this. The eye of her soul, enlightened by faith, recognized her God beneath the veil of his humanity. And in silence, in the unity of her powers, she listened to what he told her. She could sing, My soul is always in my hands. And also this little word, Neshivi. Yes, she knew nothing but him. There could be noise and excitement around her, Neshivi, they could accuse her, Neshivi. Neither empty self-esteem nor exterior things could draw her out of her sacred silence. Anthony, I think for many of us, we desire to have that type of union. We want to be able to turn over ourselves to him and to be able to keep that calm. But usually when we fall out of that, it happens so quickly. Mm. And it comes from a place, doesn't it, of a woundedness inside of us that triggers a response to what is going around us. I mean, she speaks about feelings and pursues useless thoughts and desires and scatters its forces. That particular soul is being influenced by something else, isn't it? That's right. And that's why day two is divided into three paragraphs. In the third paragraph, she mentions this thing, the fortress of holy recollection. It is the same for the soul that has entered into the fortress of holy recollection. The eye of its soul, opened in the light of faith, discovers its God present, living within it. In turn, it remains so present to him in beautiful simplicity that he guards it with a jealous care. Then disturbances from without and tempests from within may arise. Its self-esteem may be wounded. Neshivi. God may hide himself 
withdraw his sensible grace, Neshivi. Or as St. Paul writes, For love of him, I have forfeited everything. Then the master is free, free to flow into the soul, to give himself according to his measure. And the soul thus simplified, unified, becomes the throne of the unchanging one, since unity is the throne of the Holy Trinity. That is a direct reference, I believe, to Teresa of Avila's theology of prayer. Teresa of Avila presents various degrees of prayer. The first few degrees are degrees of prayer that are things that we can do by our own efforts. And, and one of these degrees of prayers is the degree of holy recollection. So in the very beginning, the first couple degrees of prayer, we employ our imagination, we think about Bible verses and uh, biblical passages, uh, and as we think about those passages engaging our imagination, we notice while we're doing that the presence of God. And whenever we can, we let our hearts just rest in that presence and listen to what he has to say. And then when our hearts start getting pulled by this thought or that thought that we know is not God, you know, we find ourselves going back to laundry lists or or broken relationships. Then we go back to the Bible and we read the scriptures again. And the reading the scriptures or sometimes other spiritual literature, what it does is help train our hearts to attend to the presence of the Lord. So that's that's the initial stages or degrees of prayer that Teresa of Avila talks about. But then she talks about after you've been at this kind of prayer for a little while, after you've been practicing this, you are able to enter into recollection. And what recollection is, it's the ability of the soul to collect its powers together and simply attend to God in silence. Here you're not worrying about making elaborate meditations, although if you meditate a little bit to help dispose you, that, that's fine. The rosary is a very nice tool for this, saying the Hail Mary kind of settles the soul as you repeat it over and over and think about the mysteries. As you pray the rosary over the, over the years and think about those mysteries, if your heart is vulnerable to the love of Christ, you just want to, you just want to spend time in silence with Christ because of the beautiful things that he's done for you and your heart's captivated by him. This is what recollection is. And the reason why this is so important in the writings of St. Teresa of Avila, but also the writings of Blessed Elizabeth, is that souls that dispose themselves to God in this kind of prayer, souls that will spend time in silence before the Lord, God is able to do a couple things. First thing they're able to do, and this isn't so much in Teresa of Avila and Blessed Elizabeth, this is in John of the Cross, is God is able to heal them of some of the wounds that you were talking about. You referred to, we get pulled out because of woundedness. Yeah, we have all kinds of hidden judgments and resentments and bitterness, and and our minds love to replay those things over and over. We love to wallow in self-pity, but that's not prayer. John of the Cross says that if we renounce that and just accept enter into this holy recollection, this silence, God can begin to speak to us in different different ways. Teresa of Avila in her life actually describes the spark 
a spark of God's love is ignited in your heart during in the midst of this holy recollection. Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity, she offers us a more forceful uh, image. We'll see it uh, later on in this retreat, but also in her other writings, she'll speak about a divine impact that when you're vulnerable to God in the silence, you encounter God in a very definitive way. And when you do this, this experience she says about forgetting everything else but and, and only being aware of him, that becomes the habit of your soul. You begin to be transformed in his love. And similar to what John of the Cross is saying by the dark night, this uh, resting in holy recollection, similar to what Teresa of Avila is talking about as the spark of mystical prayer, Elizabeth of the Trinity, with this divine impact that we receive in holy recollection, is talking about an encounter with the Lord that completely changes our, our lives. That encounter is what allows us to be in harmony with Him. It's something God does in the soul and that we avail ourselves to through holy recollection. If there was someone who experienced that great woundedness and after encountering Christ, was so greatly healed, it, it would be Mary Magdalene, wouldn't it? I mean, that she's a, a tremendous example of that. Yes. The passage that uh, Blessed Elizabeth refers to in the Scriptures, of uh, course, is the passage where Jesus is with Mary Magdalene and Martha and Bethany. Bethany is just a really just a few hours walk I think from Jerusalem it's it's quite close it's on on the other side of a hill from Jerusalem it's in a little tiny village even today very small Jesus liked to be with his friends there Mary and Martha and in particular Mary would sit at his feet and listen to him Martha had a hard time listening to him. She liked to do things for him. And so spiritual writers through the centuries have thought about this phenomena of some souls who really want to serve God by doing wonderful things with him, for him, and contemplative souls that love to listen to him. Elizabeth of the Trinity says that it's very important for the spiritual life in order to have this self-possession we need to be able to do the will of the Lord in our lives. We need to be very recollected. We need to choose the one thing necessary that Mary chose. In the preaching at the time, scripture scholars kind of are of a diverse opinion on this now. Mary Magdalene and Mary of Bethany, the sister of Martha, the two Marys that you find in the scriptures were considered to be the same person. And it was alive in the preaching of her time. And Elizabeth has picked up on that. That's why she calls her Mary Magdalene. But the reason why they collapsed the two people is that it appealed to the religious imagination that somebody who had been caught in adultery, who had been forgiven by Jesus, who realized how much she owed Jesus, how precious his love is, that kind of person is the kind of person who listens to Jesus, who would sit at his feet, who would be captivated by everything he said. Whereas Martha, who maybe didn't experience the same mercy, or at least not mercy in the exact same way, be a little bit harder for her to settle down. So these are the thoughts that are going through a blessed Elizabeth's mind when she presents recollection in terms of the one thing necessary, what Jesus' word to Martha about her sister Mary is that Mary has chosen the better half. This prayerful thing is very important. There's one more element here that I, I think needs to be pastorally mentioned, and that is 
Elizabeth, when she's writing this, we made a big point of this in our first show. She's dying. These are the words of a dying woman. And the last things, her great suffering that she's enduring right now, she is trying to be patient with her illness. And I am sure there are probably listeners out there right now who, if they're not suffering themselves, if they've been with a loved one or they know a loved one right now who is suffering some great illness. And you know how easy it is in the midst of great illness to be irritated and impatient and to be, to be kind of excitable. Elizabeth is fighting all of this herself. One of the things that happens, uh, I think it's just after this retreat, Mother Germaine comes into the uh, the room to see her, and uh, Elizabeth had been expecting her for some time, and Mother Germaine was delayed. And Elizabeth, you know, looked at her and she said, "You were content to leave me alone." And Mother Germaine said, "What do you mean?" She goes, "The window was open, implying her she was in such suffering, interior and exterior, she was tempted to to kill herself, to jump out the window." Mm. A lot of people get shocked when they hear saints actually struggle with thoughts like that. But the battle, especially the battle around our final illness, is intense. And it's in the midst of that intense struggle that Blessed Elizabeth is saying, the way I'm winning this battle, the way Christ is winning this battle in me, is by me remaining prayerful and attending to him not letting myself be vulnerable to the irritation of the disease that is consuming me right now. Don't we experience sometimes, Anthony, even if we're not in the midst of a terrible illness, there are the terrible anxieties that come from maybe we've gotten ourselves in a financial situation that has taken a very bad turn, or we're in the midst of a relationship that for whatever reason has gotten very sad and twisted. I mean, those types of situations, it would be easier to slip into the type of thing that would lead us into a spiraling depression or despair or an anger. Yeah, one of the beautiful things about uh, Carmelite mysticism is that all those things that you just mentioned that can lead us to, to give up, uh, to despair. Uh, these are things all the great Carmelite doctors of the church have also faced, and they describe their struggles with these things exactly. The way they see them, though, instead of seeing them as threats to the spiritual life, they see them as opportunities for the spiritual life. If I could refer to the doctrine of, of St. John of the Cross, he says that in order to help us enter into a deeper kind of transforming prayer, God not only sends us interior trials, but also exterior ones, that these trials test the soul. These hardships are opportunities for the soul to grow in love. Listen to this from Blessed Elizabeth. She says, the soul that remains in uh, holy recollection, uh, she says, God guards it with a jealous care. So when we strive to remain in the peace of God in the midst of trial, God is guarding us at that minute. It doesn't feel like that. We can only believe it by faith. And so our faith is tested, isn't it? And she says, when we believe that God is guarding us jealously for himself in the midst of these trials, then disturbances from without and tempests from within may arise. Its self-esteem may be wounded. 
Nashiri, and no longer know anything but God. God may hide himself, withdraw his sensible grace, Nashiri, I no longer know anything but him. Or as St. Paul writes, for love of him, I have forfeited everything. The idea is that when we spend time in recollection, we're training our souls to remain steadfast and not to be carried out of themselves in the midst of trial. Then in the midst of the trial, what we learn to sing, we learn to sing this word, Nashiwi, I no longer know anything about uh, but you, Jesus. You are the one who captivates my soul, and this other thing is less important. It's not a song that we just start singing. It's a song that we learn to sing. I think about St. Philip Neri. St. Philip Neri is down in the catacombs. He's talking to Jesus. He says, Jesus, I have a terrible temper. Will you uh, teach me to be more gentle with my brothers, more patient with my brothers? And Jesus says, yes, I've given you this grace. And so Philip Neri goes out. And who's the first brother he runs into? But one of his younger brothers with whom he never fights. And what's the first thing that happened? They get into this horrible fight. It's almost a physical fight. He can't believe he's done that. Then he runs into another brother, and they get into a fight and then he goes off into a third brother they get into a fight and by the time he gets into the third fight he's running back to the catacombs where he prayed and where Jesus told him that you know he was going to have this extra grace of gentleness to deal with his brothers and he said he said Jesus you told me that you were going to help me with gentleness what happened and Jesus told him I gave you three opportunities to become gentle you didn't take them well to be able to really sing Nashiwi in the reality of our lives, God allows things to happen to us. Sometimes he hides his presence from us. And sometimes he, he allows things to happen that hurt our self-esteem. Sometimes he doesn't let us feel that uh, we're doing anything constructive. And one student said, it's like I'm not making any progress. No matter how hard I try, I just seem to be stuck in the same place. Well, that's to be feeling that, John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila, and Elizabeth of the Trinity would say, that's a great grace. John of the Cross would call it a grace that leads you into the dark night where you meet Jesus. Elizabeth of the Trinity would say, that's a great grace where you learn to sing. Nashiwi, you learn to sing the song of the bride. Teresa of Avila would maybe present it in terms of a certain kind of dryness in which the virtues of our hearts can grow more for the glory of Jesus. However you want to approach it, all these great mystics, they all tell us that when we learn to sing this Nishiwi, when we learn to accept the dark night and believe in the Lord in the face of it, even as everything's falling apart around us, then, as Elizabeth says, the Master is free, free to flow into the soul, to give himself according to his measure, which is without measure. And the soul thus simplified, unified, becomes the throne of the unchanging one. Unity is the throne of the Holy Trinity. The soul that is in tune with God becomes a wonderful place for God to rest. Saint Therese of Lisieux, I think it's in one of her letters, I haven't been able to find the passage exactly. What she said was that the soul that will serenely accept displeasure with itself becomes a resting place for Jesus, a place where Jesus can rest in peace. And uh, and this, I think, is the great movement of contemplative prayer, 
to be able to serenely accept displeasure with ourselves and to offer it to Jesus out of love with him and not to be irritated or upset or give up or despair because of it, but to trust in his love even more. Mm, Beautiful. Any final thoughts on this particular day, Anthony? It's a peculiar kind of calmness that God calls us to. The calmness that we see of Jesus who cries out his last breath on the cross in a wordless cry. Uh, It's not a kind of calmness that the world understands, but it's a calmness that is completely surrendered and completely trusts in the love of the Father. And I think think this is what Elizabeth wants us to know. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you so much, Anthony. Thank you, Chris. And God bless you and your audience. What a beautiful time to have with you. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. To hear and or to download this episode, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis.